we doing? So we're going to try to sit still today. I don't have a choice, but so sit back, relax with me, kick your kick your your feet up if you want. Um, I'm not going anywhere until someone hands me those crutches right there. Um, if uh, if you didn't get the Speaking of Jesus booklets, uh, there's some in the back. Um, We've partnered with uh, some real close friends of ours out at the Summit Community Church and doing a series along with them. And, um, and so they've put together a lot of this material and are, we're just walking through with them and together. And Rick and I are part of a preaching cohort throughout the week just to um, work with these guys and just um, dive into what the Lord wants to do. And so um, that's where that resource has come from, and it's really, really helpful. Page 18 is where we're at this morning. Um, so... When, uh, when I was in college and playing college sports, one of the things that, um, I don't know that I ever really loved it, I probably more so hated it, was uh, like 6 a.m. Uh, practices. Um, you know, you'd, and the, the problem with 6 a.m. practices is you really have to get up about 5 a.m. or about 5.15 to get something in you before you're going to go like almost puke your guts out when you get to the gym. Um, so you'd get there, and the reason why Coach would do 6 a.m. practices because he, he, he didn't want us to just settle for being just an okay team. He didn't want us to just settle for just being so-so. Um, he wanted us to be the best we could be. That's why we did 6 a.m. practices. That's why we did two-a-days. Um, because he wanted us to be, um, to be good, and he challenged us. And it didn't matter if I stayed up all night writing a paper or studying for a final, and I got there at 6 a.m., and I'm like, Coach, I just really don't feel well. I was up all night studying for a you know, final, finishing up this paper. And he just looked at me, he's like, sorry, get on the line. Ugh, you know, um, this morning, um, what we're going to talk about, what we're going to look into, if you have your Bible and you've opened up to Revelation chapter 3, is, is probably somewhat of a familiar passage. Um, you've heard this, this uh, idea of uh, this passage about, you know, if you're, if you're hot or cold, or if you're lukewarm, like... Don't be hot or cold, be, you know, if you're lukewarm, you know, you've heard probably different versions or whatever. The scripture, what it says is, if you're lukewarm, I'll spit you out of my mouth. Okay, that's what we're going to dive into. It's really encouraging, right? Like, so, um, hack a loogie and let's get ready to spit here. Um, here's what I want to say. Here's, a, here's what I believe God wants to challenge us in this morning is that God has more for your life. I just want you to, I want you to, I want you to feel the weight of that this morning. And I believe God has more for this church. Which is exciting about, like, we're, we're kind of, uh, not kind of, we're on the precipice of, of transition into what's next, right? We're closing a chapter, a six-year chapter that we've been in this space, and we're, next year we'll transition and we'll open the door to a new chapter. And I firmly believe, I love that we didn't plan that this text would be here on this Sunday and that we'd close the chapter in this building with this text, but it's unbelievable that God's like, um, he wants to rekindle the fire in our hearts as individuals and in our heart as a church for what's next and where we're going and what he wants to do next. And so um, John receives a revelation from the Lord, which is why it's called Revelation, the Revelation of John. And he's writing these messages to seven different churches. And in particular, the one we're going to look at is a church in Laodicea, um, which is located in, was located in Turkey. And this message is literally directly from the Lord. So when we read this, what you're hearing is the Lord really rebuking and challenging this church here in this city. Look at verse 14, and here's what it says. 
And to the angel of the and, and to the angel of the church in Laodicea write the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. So he starts out by establishing this idea that these are the words of the one true God. These are the words of of the God who is faithful, the Amen, which literally means the God of truth. He's the one who's establishing this. And one of the things that I want to set out to begin with is this this passage is written to Christians, okay? Um, it's not written to unbelievers. It's not written to atheists. Like you, God looking at atheists saying, you need to kindle fire for me. He's looking at the church. He's looking at people like you and like me, and he's saying, I want to challenge you. I want to take your life deeper. I want to do a greater work in your life. This is the creator God, the faithful one, the one who has established truth. And he's about to challenge them. This whole passage is literally honing in at this idea of nominal Christianity. You know what nominal Christianity is? It's Christianity in name only. It's where you claim that you're something, but there's, it really doesn't bear weight on your life. It doesn't change how you live. It doesn't really change what you do. It's just like you call yourself a Christian. And he's challenging the apathetic Christians in the church in Laodicea to change the way they're living but more so not by their outward activity, but by being captivated by him. And one of the things I want to do real quick, um, and I kind of planned this, but I kind of didn't. Um, I want you to jump down in the text, and I want to tell you the answer to the problem before I tell you the problem. Okay? Um, go down to verse, verse 19. I want you to look at what it says. God's saying to the church, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Okay, so um, we'll talk more about this verse in a little bit, but this idea of repentance, n- none of us like it. But what I want you to hear as we walk through, like we're going to begin to define, what does it mean to be lukewarm? Kind of, kind of get this picture of, okay, this is, we got an idea of what it means to be hot, we got an idea of what it means to be cold, but like lukewarm, wishy-washy, like... So we try to hone in on that a little bit. What I want to be washing through your mind as we're looking at that is the answer to the sin that God's calling out in this church in Laodicea is repentance. Be zealous and repent. And then verse 20 goes on to an invitation where you've heard, probably heard this verse, and it's oftentimes been used as an evangelistic verse, like, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him. Like, come to Jesus That verse is written to the church. God's saying, come enter into the fullness of what I have for you through turning away from sin and turning to me as God, through scraping away and removing of idols. So um, that's the answer to the problem that we're now going to unpack. Look at verse 15. Verse 15. God says, For I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot, Would that you be either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Pretty vivid image there. For you say, I am rich, I prospered, I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Okay, Um, question for you to think about and respond to. What are some things you've put in your mouth expecting it to be good only to spit it out quickly? Ready, set, go. Don't say your wife's dinner last night, okay? Oh, what's that? 
Dr. Pepper. Okay, we might step on some toes here, but we're a small, close-knit community. So things you put in your mouth, you expected this to be amazing, and then all of a sudden you're like, that was not amazing at all. Anybody got anything? Baking chocolate. That's a good one. That's a really good one. That's deceiving, right? I might have to trick my kids with that one. Set that out. Yeah. Celery. It does. You're sitting right next to one of them. Um, we got some celery lovers in the house. Yes. Yes. Any others? I'll tell that story in a second. Danielle's got a good one. Mia, you got one? You're, you're, you're like on the edge of your seat. Sorry. Steak? Okay. All right. Okay. Sorry. So um, when Danielle and I were in college, we took a trip to India. And uh, while we were in India, um, we went into some different small villages and... We're just hanging out with some of the church people there, and one of the things that they love to do, like in a lot of cultures, is when you have guests into your home, what do you do? You feed them, right? And uh, so one of the signs of way you show respect is by receiving and eating, um, and, uh, and so we'd been there for several days, and it got to the point where uh, we were just craving some good old American food, and the best place to find good old American food is in like some small random village, you know, in in the crevice of India, right? Like, that's where you're going to find good home, you know, home-cooked American food. So we're out in the backyard, and we're chilling with our team and with some other people, and, uh, and this lady walks out with this big old tray, and uh, Danielle's eyes set on it, and uh, she is convinced they are donut holes. And, uh, and they look, I mean, they're huge, and they're looking amazing. And so she grabs uh, a couple, several, uh, as do other people, and she sinks her teeth into that donut hole, and uh, it is filled with fish oil. And uh, mind you, there's really very few options at this point because you don't want to offend those that are hosting you. And so um, it's, I don't even remember what you did, if she spit it out or if she, but, but here's what's crazy is like, so now she's got like four of them like here on her plate. <laughs> And it's like, like what, like what, do, what do I, what do I do here? So, like the guys had some, and like we don't have nothing. So, like the girl, like they're balling them up and putting them in like their purse. Like here, we put this in your purse. And there's a couple people that like walk back to the fence and they're like chucking them over the fence and like because it was like this moment you bit into it and you just like just spit it out, like just disgusting, right? Like you don't have anything to do with this. That's, that's the picture. But, but for us here, um, what I want you to see is that, that when God says, I'll spit you out of my mouth, here, here's what this is. It's more of a metaphor. Okay, this isn't like, I'm removing you from the family of God. Spit you out. It's a metaphor for God's disgust in a sense, or God's, um, this picture that he's more so beckoning you into, I want you to stand where I've called you to stand. I want you to be who I've called you to be. Um, so it's not so much God angry at you, but God angry at apathy and angry at sin. Um, and really, it, it fit nicely with the water system in Laodicea. So in Laodicea, they didn't have their own um, water supply in their town. 
So what they had to do is they had to, they had to pipe water in. So they piped cold water in from Colossae. Um, and then another region where they piped hot water in from a, a nearby spring. The problem was is when the water, by the time the water got there, it was, it was lukewarm and kind of nasty. And not only that, when it traveled, as it traveled, by the time it got there, it was, it was full of calcium and lead. And so it really wasn't usable. So then they had to boil it and get it to the place where they could then use it. Okay. This, this is, this is the idea that we're kind of getting our minds around, um, this picture of God, of God revealing to us where we tend to land as people in this lukewarm. Because when you've been doing something for a really, really long time, right, what happens? You just kind of begin to go through the motions, right? Anybody remember like when you first became a Christian and you were just like, this is amazing. And then, and then all of a sudden like life continues to happen and the, the fervor and the fire or like when you first got your job and you're like, this is, I'm so excited. This is why we're going to change the world with this. And then like you, you know, press in and, and life starts to happen and all of a sudden you realize the challenges and, and then you just begin to just kind of go through the motions. You begin to get apathetic indifference and apathy and half-heartedness. Um, it's like telling the one you love, I love you like stale bread. That's encouraging, right? Um, I, I might eat it, but mostly I'll steer clear of it. Right? Or it's like telling the one you love, um, I can do with you or without you. Like, um, either one. Depends on how I feel that day. Right? Um, cold love says, I don't want you. Hot love says, I can't do without you. Both are very clear, very distinct. Which God, in this passage, is saying, that's where I want you. I want you one or the other, Right? Ultimately, he wants us in love with him, okay? Um, or he wants us to say no. But the indifference and the middle ground and the, the waywardness and the apathy is very divided, saying, I, I can do with or without you. Okay, it's like when, when, when I got engaged to Danielle, um, I asked her to marry me, set the scene. It was beautiful. It was amazing. She said yes, and I said, I need you to know something else. I've, I'm already engaged to three other women. No, I didn't do that because that would be ridiculous, right? It's divided love. Okay, so the, the, the journey that we're on this morning is asking God to expose idols in our heart and in our life where there's several gods in our life that we're trying to worship, one of which is the one true God. Others are X, Y, and Z in our in our lives, and God beckoning us into his presence. I have more for you. I have more for you. Um, but here's what's crazy. Is we, so we've been on this journey in this series, Speaking of Jesus, and for the last three weeks, what we've been doing is we've been drawing attention to here's who God is. Here's the scandalous love and grace. This was last week. Here's the scandalous love and grace of God in Jesus Christ that's unbelievable and ridiculous so we've been kind of opening the doors of that to get to this passage that say, that's not saying, like, like, you better be on fire for me, but is beckoning us into seeing God for who he is that will transform our hearts to a place of worship and a place of fire for him. So this morning isn't about twisting our arms to love God more or sticking a needle in our backs to be ashamed of how we should love God more, but it's about actually seeing the love of God in a way that would beckon us into him more. So there's several lies in this passage. So if you look 
If you look at the verse, there's a couple things. And it says, the first is the lies we believe, I'm rich. Okay, so Laodicea was a very rich town, um, big banking industry, very wealthy city. In fact, the city was destroyed by an earthquake. And the way it was rebuilt wasn't by the government funding the rebuild. It was by the citizens using all of their bank to rebuild their own city. Okay? They were rich. They were rich. Um, God's saying to us, he's saying to the church, we believe the lie that we're rich on our own. That I can walk this journey, that I can live this life, um, and I, I have what I need. Right? Or I, I have prospered. Right? It's like when you begin to pat yourself on the back. Like that's what, that was Laodicea. They begin to pat themselves on the back. Look at what we've done. Drawing attention to themselves. All right, let me ask you this. What are you famous for? What are you famous for? You're like, I'm not famous. No, you are. You are known for something. You're gifted and wired. And you have talents and abilities that people respect you for, esteem you for, go look to you for, they come to you for advice, for expertise. Think about those things, right? To what extent do we begin to pat ourselves on the back for those things that we're known for? And many of you are incredibly gifted and good at, at the, that thing in your mind that you know, and even though you're like, well, I don't, I don't want to be prideful. Like, like, we begin to pat ourselves on the back, and that's the rebuke here is I've, I've prospered. No, you've, you haven't done a thing other than walked into the, the, the gift of God in your life. Right? Because here's the truth of what I know. As I've pushed myself around in a wheelchair for the past three and a half weeks and been incredibly frustrated, that's not a like, pity me or anything, but it's like, it's reminded me that it could be like that and everything changes in your world. That's crazy. That's crazy. So we're at the mercy of a good, loving God who's beckoning us into a life that includes surgeries and procedures that land you in a wheelchair, not to discipline and say, I hate you, but to beckon us into, he's, he's God, and he's the one I got to trust. Because I can juggle, try to juggle everything the best that I can. And, and in the end, like if the accident happens, if the unexpected happens, if something unplanned happens, like we're not God. That's the lie. I've prospered or I need nothing is the other thing that it says. This idea that, you know, God saved me and now I can walk into this life that, yeah, I know I need him, but I, but I, but I, think, I'm, I think I'm okay the thing is, is that if you believe these, you've been blinded. If you wrestle with these, we, we wrestle with these things. All of us do. We're blinded to those. But Paul comes, not Paul, sorry. Paul's a good, a good option if you're trying to guess who wrote a book. But um, um, God says here, he says, here, here's the truth about who you are. What are the words? Wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Now, anybody write any resumes lately? Put those on them? It's going to get you the job, right? <laughs> um, you're not getting that phone call back, right? Um, but the reality is, this is who God says we are apart from him. But in relationship with God through the person of Jesus Christ, all of these things are actually made right and we're brought into acceptance in spite of these things. 
in spite of our, of our nakedness, in spite of our blindness, in spite of our poverty, and in spite of the fact that we live laughable lives in the sight of God. He beckons us in to say, I, I no longer want you to live a life of apathy, but I, I have more for you. I have more for your life. So how do we overcome this? I said earlier that it's, it's the removal of some gods in your life. Um, we don't like to use that terminology because we're, a lot of us are good Christians and we want to say we have one God, right? Like we believe in the God of the Bible. Um, but the truth is, is that uh, anything we love and esteem and we give time and, and, and energy to oftentimes can become an idol, can become something we run to and we fixate on and we believe there's hope here. We believe there's an answer for our life. One individual put it this way, as long as Jesus is not our greatest love, he will keep quiet. We will keep quiet about him to serve our greatest love, our idol. So look at verse 18. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Um, anytime, uh, does anyone have like a counselor or you're all like, oh, no, I don't, I don't. Um, yes, you should raise your hands. Everyone should be in counseling. We, everyone needs it. I'm on the waiting list. Anyway, um, so uh, does anyone have somebody that like when, when they talk to you, you're just like, like, tell, like, I believe everything you say. If you told me to jump off of a bridge, like I would do it. Like I trust you. I believe your advice. Um, don't believe that advice. But like, this, this counselor that you love and trust and know, you, maybe it's a public figure that you don't really have a relationship with, but like you just respect what they have to say, and you respect how they go about their life, and so when they speak, you know that it comes from a, um, a worthy life. God's giving counsel here, and he's giving counsel in three ways that I want to unpack. The first one is by gold refined by fire. By gold refined by fire. What he's saying is, he's saying that when we believe, we begin to believe that, that riches are actually found in God and the life he's made and the creation he's made rather than in something that we can obtain or in the physical, right? Like the spiritual riches are the true prize, okay, which impacts how we then live. So it's not like this whole life is a scrap because this whole life is physical, so we've got to trust in heaven but it's actually trusting in the, the spiritual truth of the scriptures and that impacting who we are and how we live every single day in the context that God's gifted you and wired you for his name and his kingdom, right? So that those gifts and those talents that God's given you don't become idols, but become means to you not denying what you've been gifted in, but the means to actually worship God in the way that you love. Like, how cool is that? Right? Like, God isn't trying to deny you of what you, of what you love and what you're gifted in. And unless it's sinful, he's trying to channel that into a way that's for your joy and for the holistic transformation of the, kingdom, of, of the earthly realm into the kingdom of God as the kingdom of God breaks in through how we live our lives. I love, so this passage in Isaiah kind of helps with this, Isaiah 55.1. Here's what it says. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. 
And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Like, that's an amazing place, right? Like, if we opened a restaurant and we put it on the street and, and we said, come buy, even if you don't have money, you will get food, right? Like, who would be going to that? Everybody. Like, you could not keep enough food in the restaurant to feed every single person that comes because you're like, we got to buy, but we don't even have to have anything to, like, someone else is paying on our behalf, right? Let me just make this clear. The only way that you as a, and I as a wretched, pitiable, laughable, wicked individual can come to the living God and buy is through his scandalous mercy and grace where he says, you don't need anything but to come. You don't need anything but to come. And for some of us, the biggest challenge is going to be to believe that we're wretched. We don't like that. That's hard. We like to believe that we're worth something and that we have something. That our sinfulness isn't really that big of a deal. But the amazing thing is that God transforms that. God changes that. One of, one of my favorite things to do, so every now and then, um, working at Subway that I manage, I get customers that come in and they come in and, and they'll, get, they'll get a sandwich and they'll come up to the register and uh, they'll, they'll swipe their credit card. You know what it says? Declined. So it's like, it's like now what? Right? Like I just made this person food, um, and they, they can't pay. They have no money to pay. What do you do? Um, and I don't do it all the time, but sometimes I just love to be like, you know what? Um, you just have it today. Um, you can just have it. I don't know why your card's declined. I don't know what's going on here. But you have no money. And all I can do with this sandwich is pretty much throw it away. So I'm just going to give it to you. And I'm just going to give it. That, that's the Lord there. That's the Lord saying, you have no money. Come buy. Buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without prize. It's a picture of God transforming us, of him stripping away our idols, of him removing sin in our life. It's what Job in the passage in Job 23.10, it says this, But he knows the way that I take. When he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. It's God refining our life. God refining our life through us coming to him, listen, in a way that we realize, I don't have anything to bring. If you've been around church for very long, that's hard to grapple with because you, you want to bring all your your good works, right? You want to bring all your, like, God, look at what I've done for you. And God's grateful, and there's blessing for those things, but he's like, that's not why I love you, right? It's not why I love you. It's an identity. The other one is clothe yourself in, in white garments. Um, here's the other thing you need to know about Laodicea. So they were famous for some of their wool making, um, and it was a way of life for them. And the challenge was for them to stop trusting in the excellence of the apparel they're famous for. Right? Just like I said earlier, like, what are you famous for? What are you known for? What are you gifted in? Stop trusting in that. Trust in the Lord and realize that that's a means to knowing him. That's a means out of this apathetic, because Christianity isn't just this Sunday morning thing, but it's all of life. It's got 
wooing us into his presence in all of life to use us in every context that we are, in every aspect that we live, in the schools that you work in, the jobs that you work in, the teams that your kids play on, the teams that you play on, wherever you're at, whatever venue you're at. And here's what's crazy. We talked about repentance being hard, right? Anybody disagree with that? <laughs> um, here's the truth. Is Notice this, this verse talks about God clothing us with white garments. Look at how it continues. So that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. So God isn't about shaming us. Like, like do, do you see that? So like even in this, this rebuke to, a, to an apathetic church, he's not, he's not shaming them. He's not, I'm going I'm to expose you to everyone. He's like, no, I'm, I'm going to cover you with my righteousness, with my death on the cross. I'm going to cover you and I'm going to be embarrassed on your behalf. He doesn't shame us. He loves us. He forgives us. He welcomes us like the prodigal son for the party where he puts the best robe on us. And then the next one is salve to anoint your eyes. Um, It's incredibly challenging when we can't see. My kids were playing soccer in the yard last night and my, my daughter lost her glasses and she couldn't find them. And Danielle's brother's like, hey, they're right there. And she's like, like, where? No, right there, like where? Like she couldn't see. Okay, what, what, what the Lord is saying here is there's aspects to our lives, can I just tell you this, where you can't see. And you're in some apathy, and I'm in some apathy that I don't even realize. I don't even know. I'm walking down a road that I don't even realize, or I don't even know. And God's saying, you need your eyes open to that. You need to begin to see not just the apathy that you're in, but, but the, like, what I have for you in relationship with me, that behold, I stand at the door and knock if anyone would come. I have an invitation for more of myself in your life. More. And he, and he wants to reveal that to us, but we need our eyes opened. We need him to help us see these things. Part of the way that he helps us see those things is through other people that are sitting in this room or through crazy challenges like knee surgery. So I went to the hospital uh, three weeks ago, and according to the doctor, literally an hour before the surgery, is this will be quick and easy. Um, I anticipate that, you know, the procedure will take about 20 minutes, and you'll walk out of the hospital. Uh, several hours later, and after a couple phone calls to find someone to pick up our kids from school, um, I come out of surgery, the doctors, they literally told me when they got inside my knee, sorry for that, um, that visual there, um, that they saw what the camera, when the camera got to the part of my knee they were repairing the meniscus, they, all the doctors were like, oh, like they cringed. I'm like, don't you guys do this all the time? Like, like there's something special about the injury I had? Like, they cringed because they knew, like, this is going to change everything. Like, you're, you're not going to walk out of the hospital. In fact, you're not going to walk for the next six weeks. And so, when you're a doer who can't do stuff, it's really hard. When you're forced to rely upon other people, I, like, like first week, like I had to have help. Um, Morgan, Devin live in our basement. Some of you know them. Um, like Morgan had to help me put on my socks. I couldn't reach my foot. 
Like my kids are constantly helping me getting things. And, and in this journey, here, here's all that I'm saying is that God is, God is trying to teach me something. And I'll just be straight. I'm not sure what it is yet fully. I'm not sure. I hate it. I know that. That's perfectly clear that, hey, God, I'm not happy right now with what's going on. But show me what you're teaching me. Show me what you're like. Because I'm like, I, this hasn't been fun. But like, let's get something out of it. Let's let there be some good and some transformation. And so, um, just he's been humbling me. He's been enabling me to just open my eyes that listen, I'm not God. Because I didn't. We didn't plan for this, right? Um, When we've grown lukewarm, there's always another God we've devoted ourselves to. Our love is distracted. For me, I'm learning that it's the God of busyness. It's the God of, you know, get stuff done. It's the God of hard work, which those things aren't entirely sinful. It's the God of independence. It's the God of prayerlessness. Like, try harder in God's name without God's help. Can anybody resonate with that? Try harder in God's name. Like, I'm a Christian. I'm a pastor. Of course I'm going to do it in God's name. But like, oh yeah, God, I need need your help. Forgot about that one. We do that. And God's beckoning us out of that. This independence, this, our city's destroyed. We have money. We can redo it ourselves. We don't need help. Look at verse 19. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Zealous. Here's the great news is that to the extent that you're going through something challenging, let me just boldly tell you, it's a sign of God's love. You can wrestle with that. You can wrestle with that. Because I do. I'm not going to sit up here and be like, bring it. Just tear this thing open again, and let's just do this long. Like, it's a sign of God's love. And he wants you to navigate that with him in his presence. And he wants to root out the apathy in our hearts. Like, I've noticed this. Like, 10 years in as a church, like, just for me personally, like, there's an aspect where it's like trying to kind of go through the motions. And I feel like in this process, like, the Lord's just, he's like, I want to root that out. I have more for you. That's what he's saying to us. Where have you grown lukewarm and need to repent? Let me just put that out there. You don't need to respond out loud. Don't worry. Where have you grown lukewarm and need to repent? Where does our church family need to repent? Where does our church family need to repent? Where are we complacent? Um, one of the things that we've realized as elders um, that we want to see change in is what it looks like for us to, to reach our community. Um, I, I don't know why. For some reason, it's, we've just struggled to gain traction in that aspect. And so one of the decisions that we made that I'll just share with you is that um, I'm actually going to start preaching a little bit less so that I can f- focus more energy in helping us as a church move to, to changing and reaching our, our community, which is bittersweet for me, um, but I believe it's, it's where the Lord has us. 
uh, because he has more for us. He wa- we're not here to just hang out and have fun. And, you know, when visitors come in that door, like, we should be on them and welcome them. And who are you and how can we know you? What's going on in your life? Do you know Jesus? That's our mission. That's our point. That's why we're here. And God has more for us. I'm excited to see what that looks like in, in our next space. But here's, here's what's amazing. Is that we aren't moved to love by fear or guilt. Right? We're moved to love by love. Right? And if you've ever been parented. Everybody. Or are or been a parent. You understand what it looks like to guilt your kids into things, to use fear mechanisms to get your kids to do things. I'm not trying to guilt you or get you fearful in bringing that up, but you, you understand that, right? You, you resonate with that. I'm not even necessarily speaking to that parenting issue or whatever, but what I'm saying is this, is that we're moved to love God. We're moved from the lukewarm state of complacency Regarding the things of God, not by God coming down and saying, I'm going to zap you if you don't love me more, right? But we're moved to love by the fact that he's like, you're wretched and you have nothing to offer me. I want you, right? I want you. You're mine. I'm going to, make, I'm going to put on the best robe. You've done nothing but defamed my name. Like You don't pick those people when you're picking teams on the playground, right? I want the nobody who can't do anything. That's love. And that beckons us into a rekindled fire for the name and the renown of of God. So what would it look like for us as a church if collectively we moved in mass transformation to have a rekindled fire for the Lord. Like, what, what would that look like? And what would keep us from doing that, from repenting and leaving our lukewarm love, our comfort, our fear of people, our fear of, man, what would God require of me or want of me, which is an unbelievably awesome place to be, to have to trust that God's good and he's going to take care of me. But look at verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. Like that's, this morning is about an invitation. That's what this morning is about. God's saying, I I want, I want more of you. I want you to experience my love. Where have you grown complacent? here's what's amazing is it's not like when you go tell your kid to go clean your room or you're grounded right it's like the parent going I'm going to help you I'm going to do it for you it's God's like I'm inviting you into a life and a journey with me where I strip away your idols where I strip away all your gods that you worship and you serve and you find satisfaction from so that you could find satisfaction from me alone. And it's not a go out there and figure it out, but it's I'm going with you in everything you do because I've invited you into a relationship. And I'm not angry at you. 
Some of you, that's the best news that you could hear this morning. I'm not angry at you. I want more for your life. Because I love you. Before I pray, I want to make one point. If at all, hear this, if at all your heart is like you feel a sense of um, conviction or your heart is stirred in the past few minutes that I've been talking, I want you to know this. Um, That's a gift from God. Because the passage ends by saying, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear. Which means some people don't have an ear to hear. Which I want to challenge us with. That's a gift of God's grace. It's the first step to us moving from a place of lukewarmness to a place of rekindled fire for him is He's making us aware and he's bringing conviction. And now what does it look like for us to walk into relationship with him in repentance and faith? Let's pray and prepare to respond to the Lord. Jesus, you are good and you are faithful. And we sit in this moment realizing that you are a God who loves us. You love us. So much that you want more for us. You want more for our lives. You want more for our church. And so, God, I thank you for these past six years in this place. I thank you for Florissant Presbyterian Church and the gift they've been to us over these past six years. And, God, I pray that today, God, only by your miraculous power, that today would be a day that you miraculously change our hearts and transition us to the next chapter in the life of our church for more of you. God, that's what we want more than anything. And God, only you can accomplish that. So we'll trust you and we'll run to you in Jesus' name.